Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes, the podcast where we talk about music inside and out. My name is Noah, but you probably know me better as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and you probably know me as 12-Tone, and today we're going to be talking about instrumental music. And I don't know if there's anywhere you wanted to start with this, but I mean, is there, first of all? I really like this topic because I think this is a real Ghost Notes rarity. I think we don't really need to start with defining what instrumental music is. I think it's... It's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. I'm going to do it anyway. It's music without vocals. But yeah, so for me, like one of the things I really wanted to talk about here is just my experience with instrumental music has been that it's not that I have more difficulty enjoying instrumental music, but I feel like I have more difficulty explaining why I enjoy a particular piece of instrumental music as opposed to vocal music. And like, you know, you know me, you know that when I do my analysis and stuff, I'm often not talking about the vocals a yeah. lot. This is like, there are all sorts of other parts of the song that I can engage with and look at. And so it's not, it's not that I don't have a concept of how to talk about these sorts of things. It's just that it feels harder to plant a flag in, if that makes sense. I, I think that's interesting because I understand that, but I, I don't really feel that way. I mean, I also just, I listen to a lot of instrumental music. Like, I listen to a lot of jazz. A lot of my favorite jazz is yeah. instrumental jazz. Um, So I listen to a lot of instrumental music, and I often, like, there are difficult things to talk about with instrumental music, but often I find, like, one of the things that I really love about instrumental music is specifically talking about it, but not talking about it from a kind of theoretical, analytical standpoint, talking about it more from a, on an abstract kind of emotional level where like, I, I mean, I think in general, a lot of the way that I talk about music is through kind of imperfect metaphor, but I think instrumental music especially is, it it's such a, it's such a kind of lush ground for to play around with sort of metaphor to describe what you're feeling. Um, and I think I think for me, that's a lot of the magic of instrumental music is specifically that you don't really have that anchor, right? I mean, you you sometimes do yeah. with like title context and stuff like that, which we can get into that later. But I, I it's I think this is gonna be interesting because for me personally, I, I don't have really have that difficulty talking about instrumental music. You're kind of describing the same sort of thing that I am, though. For me, a lot of where I would trace this to is that when I talk about music, either analytically or just talking about my experience, I very strongly gravitate toward narrative in terms of how I describe things and how I think about things. And like, if you look at something like, say, I was listening recently to Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche. Great album. That's a rock opera. It has a very specific story with specific characters and is walking you through a series of events. And you can do that very easily in that sort of format because you can rely on words to tell that story. But if you were to remove all of the vocals from Operation Mindcrime, I mean, that's, that's not the same as making an instrumental piece, to be clear. But if you were to remove all of those vocals, you wouldn't really have that narrative, even though all of the components, once you have the narrative, fit into the story that's being told in the lyrics. And so, like, recently I've been getting into a little bit of, like, Mike Oldfield. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, Tubular Tubular Bells, Bells. Field, stuff like that. Yeah. Which are, like, these long, sprawling instrumental pieces. And I really enjoy them. But it's, I don't feel like a, 
like I'm on a narrative, like I'm involved in a narrative, like I'm listening to a story. And so a lot of the tools that I have, at least for discussing music, again, either analytically or just casually, I feel like don't necessarily fit with what that music is trying to do and what that music is best at doing, which, as you say, is much more about metaphor and vibe and just experience as opposed to story. I think it's interesting, though, because I think that there are some instrumental pieces that have a clear narrative in them, especially a lot of kind of classical and especially a lot of instrumental pieces that kind of come from opera. Um, though I suppose, I suppose, yeah. I was going to say in the Hall of the Mountain King, I suppose technically there is a, a like vocal aspect of that at the end, isn't there? But I forget. I mostly remember the opening. You might be right. But, but anyways, that's a song that in my mind has sort of a clear narrative. In case, for those of you that don't know, um, in the Hall of the Mountain King, you have you have heard this song before, even if you don't recognize it. It's the bum 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 Yeah. And it's got one that it's it's kind of got, especially when you kind of contextualize it with the title, there is there is this clear narrative where it's the song that kind of starts as this sort of, you know, creeping quiet piece and then grows to this huge epic kind of climactic thing. In my mind, there's there's a certainly a narrative there. It's it's obviously not as, yeah. you know, overtly clear as if you engaged with the whole opera, which opera is fundamentally a narrative um, format. Oh, absolutely. But I do think that, that that's a piece that has some. I, I'd also say one that I was actually thinking of is, are you familiar with Boy Girl Song by Aphex Twin? I am not. I don't listen to a lot of Aphex Twin. So essentially what it is, is it's, I was going to say, are you vaguely familiar with what Aphex Twin usually does? But Aphex Twin does a yeah. lot of different stuff. So that's, uh, um, but generally. I, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of Aphex Twin, but yeah. um, um, maybe good to describe for listeners anyway. Yeah. But yes, I do know them. I just don't listen to a lot. Yeah. So generally the song, Boy Girl Song, a, lo a lot of, uh, this is on the Richard D. James album. And a lot of what that album does is you have these kind of like, beautiful synthy melodic passages overlaid with these like really sort of manic chaotic break beats and what you've got going on with boy girl song or girl boy song i forget which way it is anyways is you have this kind of like almost sort of like question and answer of this sort of you know beautiful flowing light melodic thing and this you know really sort of chaotic breakbeat and you kind of have this uh i've heard people describe it i there was a uh i forget who but there was a music critic that described it as like almost like a musical retelling of the tortoise and the hare um you know but for for me it's always sort yeah. of it's always especially with the context of the title girl boy song there's these two sorts of energies um that in the end kind of come together and in the end, as they come together, they create this sort of beautiful, harmonious thing. And I mean, in my mind, it's one of the great love songs ever made. Um, it's a, but in a very kind of simple archetypal way. But there is this clear narrative of these two sort of parties represented by instrumentals engaging with each other, coming together a little bit, kind of having, you know, a meet cute, if you will, and then. But in the end, by the end of the four minutes, they kind of come together in this really, really 
beautiful, moving, powerful thing. And I think that that's an example of how you can do narrative in instrumental music. But I also think that kind of, I, I, I think examples like that tend to be more rare, you know, like I, I think they can be done, yeah. but they're not, they're not the norm. Yeah. And it's also, again, comes back to a thing you were mentioning earlier with sort of contextualizing with the title. Yes. Like in the hall of the mountain King tells you a lot about how you're supposed to be picturing the events. Whereas if the same piece was called flight of the bumblebee, which is a different yep. piece, which similarly, I think you can get a story from flight of the bumblebee, but if you were to swap those names and you were to go in thinking of it with that different name, a lot of that context changes yes. in a way that, you know, it is because you're relying on external components. And especially like in the Hall of the Mountain King, I've seen that as under, as an underscore, as background music, or as like the score for lots of different yeah. things. People use that piece a lot. And those visuals also connect to my ability to turn this into a story which again is not to say that it's not like it's an entirely it's a great example of a piece of music that is again you might be right that there's vocals at the end I don't remember it's been a while since I've listened to the entirety of the Hall of the Mountain of in the Hall of the Mountain King but like mostly instrumental music and certainly the parts I'm thinking of are yeah. instrumental and you have a clear story in those a lot of the instrumental stuff that is kind of a little more difficult is stuff like, um, like I say, I like a lot of instrumental jazz and a lot of the jazz that I like, like a lot of the bebop that I like, um, you know, and post-bop stuff, a lot of what this stuff is doing is it is taking jazz standards that are songs with sort of, you know, lyrics and narratives, but it is instrumentalizing them and removing them from that context. So, you know, you'll have, you know, you'll have a song like, Stardust or something like that that is yeah. a love song but then someone like Coltrane or Davis will take the kind of harmonic and melodic framework of that and pull it apart and tease it out into this thing where you know you could have you could have it be um you, you know you could read it as a love song but also it's got all sorts of other kind of weird interesting different things going on um that are very much not you know, your, your typical, you know, they're very different than the standard that it was built from. So I totally see, I, I, I understand what you're saying with that, with the yeah. sort of lack of narrative that um, exists in pieces like that. I almost feel like I don't have to say this at this point in yeah. the Ghost Notes catalog, but that's not a bad thing. Yes. That's, I don't mean that as a criticism. I'm not saying that songs without stories are worse. There are plenty of songs with vocals that don't have stories, but like, it's just my default framework because of the sort of music I grew up with is to very much look for a story. I, I think for me in these situations, one of the things that really helps me appreciate this is sort of, and, and I think this is, this might be kind of why I'm good at this stuff is like my whole, you know, approach and profession to music. So often instrumental pieces, when you, discover the context of how they were written, you know, what time they were written and who wrote yeah. them and when. My ultimate example of that is um, Alabama by John Coltrane, which, so Alabama, sure. the title does, again, kind of give a bit of the narrative, but I mean, Alabama is just a state. You don't know everything that goes yeah. on there, but Alabama is this kind <laughs> of like really, really beautiful, mournful 
sorrowful piece of saxophone music. And it was Coltrane wrote it in response to the um, bombing of a Baptist church in Alabama that killed three young black girls. Horrible, horrible event um, in 63, kind of a pivotal moment in the civil rights movement. And Alabama is Coltrane's response to it. But that's a thing where, you know, if you just hear this song playing and you're like, oh, this is like a really, really gut wrenching song like this dude must be really sad. It's like you're you're getting part of that. But when you frame it within the context of Coltrane writing it and allegedly Coltrane actually like uh, allegedly the kind of rhythms of Coltrane's playing are meant to emulate uh, a sermon that Martin Luther King gave, uh, which is really, really cool. Um, but but without the kind of historical context, Alabama can be a different meaning and it can be, you know, like a, yeah. a sad song. But when you have the context, it is a specific kind of sorrow that is very specifically rooted in the black experience, in Coltrane's experience, in, you know, that moment in the civil rights movement where, you know, the black community is trying to stand up and fight for rights and being met with literal children killed by bombs in church. All of that context really deeply informs the power of this instrumental. And I think I think that's the sort of thing that can, you know, elevate an instrumental from or elevate the listening experience of an instrumental from being like, this is a you know, raw, heavy piece to this is one of the most profound pieces of music I've ever heard, right? And that's, I think, one of the things that instrumental music is great at is because you're not tied to having to put your feelings and your story into words, you can convey much more profound feelings and one of my favorite examples of this is uh, the uh, Jimi Hendrix Star Spangled Banner. Yes. Where that like, takes, part of that is also that you he creates this story by using music you know. Yeah. Music that you are, as an American, if you're listening at are an American, which I, I, I'm just, just going to say from my perspective as an American, but uh, Noah, who is Canadian, I believe also knows the Star Spangled Banner. Yes. So. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a pretty famous piece of music. <laughs> yeah, that that one people have heard of that, I think. Uh, but especially sort of even without the specific cultural context of like Hendrix and Woodstock and the '60s and Vietnam, like even without all of that, like knowing the Star Spangled Banner and hearing what he does with it, yeah, you get a very clear idea of what's being said. I think Hendrix is amazing at this, where he actually doesn't have many songs that are exclusively instrumentals, but he'll have songs, a lot of songs, with very wide open instrumental passages, like similar to the Star Spangled Banner is Machine Gun, where Machine Gun as a song has, you know, a little verse and then a 10 minute guitar solo. And in that guitar solo, Hendrix is doing the same sort of, I've seen it described as, and I've described it as sound painting, right? Where, what he's yeah. doing is he's using his guitar uh, to make an image. And in, in Machine Gun, same as the Star Spangled Banner, it's an image of kind of violence and death and destruction um, in in, yeah. in a way that is more impactful than, you know, singing an anti-Vietnam War song is. Like playing the Star Spangled Banner yeah. and 
in the middle of it doing a dive bomb and noise explosion. No words can really kind of like capture that, you know, like. I just want to highlight that dive bomb and explosion is right after the what is what you would, if you knew the Star Spangled Banner, recognize as the line and the rocket's red yes, glare. Yes, exactly. I think that's a hugely important part of that too. Yeah. But continue. Well, I, I was just going to say like, I, now I'm kind of trying to picture someone like, you know, like rewriting the lyrics of Star Spangled Banner in a, you know, like protest yeah. parody. And I'm like, just describing yeah. that I'm actively cringing. Yeah. You know? I, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of that idea. Uh, anyone listening who thinks they can prove me wrong, give it a shot. Yep. But instinctively, not a fan of that idea. Yeah. Hendrix is really a great example of, and again, like, uh, an adjacent topic of like mostly instrumental music. Uh, like I think of when I did my video on all along the watchtower, a big part of that was breaking down the solo, which, yes. you know, strip out the rest of the song. The solo of all along the watchtower is a play in four acts. Like there's such a clear, yeah, like not necessarily like arc with narrative arc with characters and like, but you, there's clearly a journey that you're being taken on that fits within the story of the song in a way that you don't like really, especially because like the lyrics are not direct in what they're saying yeah. either. So there's a lot of open interpretation there anyway, but there's, I mean, there, there is and there isn't, but there at least sort of is. But anyway, like there's this clear process to it. And like, I often find like a lot of guitar solos in rock don't necessarily do as much narratively or structurally as I might like. Yeah. But like a Hendrix guitar solo, that 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 dude didn't miss. I'll put it that way. An <laughs> another one, again, very Hendrix adjacent and very related to the Hendrix thing is Maggot Brain, which check out my video on that if you haven't seen that yep. recently. But I talk a lot about that, about kind of what he's doing with the instrumental to convey these feelings and yeah that's one where like i don't really think i don't really think there's a narrative to maggot brain but there is certainly a emotional flow to it you know there is yeah. it's you know in, in the way that like there's not really a narrative to grief you know there's no sort of there's no sort of, yeah. you know, there are the supposed stages of grief or whatever, uh, but there's not really like uh, you can you can create narratives about grief, but the experience of grief yeah. is just something that kind of happens to you on a very sort of uh, emotional level. And I think in a lot of ways, maggot brain is something that is trying to capture the feeling of grief. And then eventually kind of the feeling of finding meaning out of grief, which it, it, I, I wouldn't say it's a narrative, but there's there's some sort of yeah. maybe not story, but there's 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 a maybe story. There's an, there's an arc of some kind there. Right. Like it's taking you on an emotional yeah. arc. And I think that's something that instrument instrumental music is so, so well suited to is bringing you on these yeah the these emotional arcs there's the the quote about musical theater where like when your characters can't uh when you can't say it uh that's when you start singing yes and it, it, that's not exactly right and the, i think it transitions to dancing as well but you know the the basic idea of just putting putting music to ideas 
is is such a powerful way of adding a feeling to it uh, in ways that the words themselves may not be able to convey. And so instrumental music sort of takes that a step further and it's it's just the feeling. And if if you do it, if you do it something like the way Maggot Brain did or whatever, where you have that arc through, you can create a sense of motion and a sense of journey without tying yourself to a specific narrative. Yeah. And that, you know, again, part of what you were saying with like sort of getting the cultural context, relearning what happened and where, what the story behind the song was, is a way of putting that into a more specific picture. But it also, without that, allows you to project your own experiences onto it. It allows you to take this journey and find the way that it fits in with your own life. In the video I'm working on right now, I'm partly talking about the unincluded song TV on 10. And I don't know, are you familiar with that one? No. Uh, So TV on 10, Aesop Rock's verse in it, which is most of the song, is about an experience from his childhood uh, where he was in the room with a group of friends when one of his friends found out from a news report that his mother had died in a plane crash. And it's a really, it's a really powerful song. I really recommend listening to it, listening closely to the words. It's so well-constructed. And Kimya Dawson's verse is great too. Uh, They started out with a thing about like being, being on a plane and being afraid of flying. And then that transitions into Aesop's verse. It's really powerful. Uh, But anyway, that is not something that I can relate to my life. Yeah. Because that is a very specific experience with like dates and flight numbers and named people. And none of that happened to me. But like the backing track has this like thick, rich, and deep sense of anxiety to it that I can relate to. And, you know, and and again, to, to go back to like actual instrumental music, if I listen to... I don't know what's a good example. I don't know. In the Hall of the Mountain King. Let's just keep using that one because I want to keep yeah. this conversation going instead of trying to think of another instrumental song. I can listen to that. And there's there's something in my life that has felt like that. For legal reasons, maybe shouldn't say what it is, but you know. There's probably like a dozen things in your life that have felt like that. You know, there's yeah. lots of moments that feel like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's just that universality of emotional experience is something that music can tap into in ways that words I mean words can right like I I don't want to I don't want to downplay the power of poetry here yeah but like a lot of the point of words is specificity yeah like that's why we have language instead of grunting and pointing well we have grunting and pointing too to be clear I was actually going to say like one of the places where what I think is like kind of a great example of the power of instrumental music is um, I play a lot of tabletop role play, a lot of D and D and I, I'm a, sure. I'm a dungeon master. I DM and often <laughs> like for situations, I will be queuing up instrumental pieces to try to, you know, provoke emotional responses and, you know, kind of, kind of create a score for what's going on. This is exactly what I would expect from a D&D game that you ran. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, no. Um I a uh, 100% like <laughs> I don't know one of my a, a go-to is, you know, like if it's a very tense moment, I might put on like Mars Bringer of War by Holst, which is, you know, 
The yeah. planets, I want to talk about the planets a little more too, because it's some of my favorite instrumental music. Sure. But like Mars is a piece that it is written with a sort of vision in mind of embodying both the planet Mars and um, the god of war, Mars. Uh, but yeah. it's also just a really tense piece of music. And when I play it under, you know, a tense showdown in D&D, it's not, I'm not trying to call to mind, you know, the Roman god of war. I'm just trying to milk the sheer emotion of the, you know, sort of tension that that song creates. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, I mean, that song is kind of a masterclass in, if you want to get into some of the more, like, you know, technical sides of what it's doing to create tension, it's su- it does such a good job of it with the, you know, the 5-4 count. It, it uses it to create such a sense of unnerving, yeah. you know, the timbre of, like, it uses, like, chains and all of this really, like, you know, incredible, incredible sound design, really, to create this this sort of tension. And and that's the power is, you know, you you can't play, you can apply that. And, and that's something that I'll apply to, you know, various different situations around the same campaign or in different campaigns. And every time the emotional context, people st- people get it because it is a song with such a just rich, rich emotional vocabulary of of tension and despair. I think that sort of gets back to what I was talking about at the beginning, where, you know, with with a standard vocal song, it's fairly easy to describe what it is about it that's interesting because there is this one specific interpretation, whereas instrumental music will often leave itself much more open. And so there's just so many different ways that you could take it about sort of what this is. And it will change, you know, and any piece of music, your experience of it will change with your mood and with like where you're at in all sorts of ways. And I don't want to take that away from other kinds of music either. But I think, again, the lack of a focal point in the lyrics, a lack of a clear... Again, it's I want to distinguish here because like I'm... When I we're talking about like the difference between instrumental and vocal music, but really what I'm talking about is the difference between instrumental and lyrical music. Yeah. Like if you have wordless vocals that are just sort of scatting or like moaning yeah. or whatever you're doing with them, that's still instrumental music as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I think one of the one of the really interesting things that I wanted to talk about here is so because of uh one of my good friends Mido, shout out to GameScore Fanfare, great channel. He got me into a band called Fishman's, um, and Fishman's are a Japanese dream pop band, and their music has lyrics, um, but I don't speak Japanese, believe it or not, um, yeah. and the lyrics are sung in a very kind of like, you know, dream poppy, like open textural way, and in my mind, when I am listening to them, I kind of listen to them as instrumental music like you know there there are there are words to these songs there are vocal melodies happening and a lot of them are really really like you know beautiful lyrics when you read them but yeah. but when my experience of listening to them is just listening to the like listening to the lyrics as if they're instrumental because that's that's my context you know yeah. that's that's all that i have yeah. to attach myself to them and i think that that's a really 
I think that's a really unique and sort of rewarding experience for something that, you know, was wasn't designed to be instrumental music, but ultimately that's how I'm treating it in my mind when I'm yeah. listening to it. Yeah, I have similar experiences in that, like, my sibling went to French immersion camp for a while back in high school, and so they weren't allowed to listen to anything with English lyrics, and so they brought back a bunch of stuff that was, like, popular French music. Yeah. I don't speak French. I didn't speak French. I still... I took, like, a couple credits of French for my foreign language credit to get my bachelor's, uh, but I don't remember anything about it. Like, functionally, 99% of French is indistinguishable from gibberish to me. And that's to me. That's my, I'm not saying anything about French <laughs> as a language, but just I don't I don't speak it is my point. Uh, and so similarly, especially back then, I would listen to it and it did feel, again, like I, I, I couldn't extract a story from that. I couldn't figure out what they were talking about. I do think there is an interesting line to draw there, though, because there are very specific ways that humans use their voices to express emotions yes. and to express ideas that we are familiar with, even if we don't speak the language. And, you know, we may misinterpret a line or whatever, but, like, and because of, like, cultural differences, you may incorrectly identify what they were expressing, but if you hear a voice doing a specific thing, you have a sense of at least how you interpret that in but, a way that is much more concrete than if you hear, say, a saxophone do it. But I, I don't, I don't know that it's that much more concrete because often, I mean, especially with things like, uh, like saxophones or trumpets, like oftentimes a lot of what they're doing is sort of emulating the human voice and is kind of hitting those yeah. emotional tones. I, I do agree that. I don't think it's I don't think it's the exact same, you know, like there's something different also as a musician. If you compose something for lyrics, you're going to compose it differently than if you compose it as an instrumental piece. There are differences, but I do think that they're like like often what I get out of a lot of instrumental music is often, you know, instruments expressing things that do feel like the human voice you know like some i think something that's very oh yeah kind of like common in a lot of um like in a lot of blues instrumentals and blues guitar is there's a certain kind of sexuality that comes through in guitar voices and people will kind of make guitars moan and groan and that's such a kind of big aspect of blues yeah. music and a lot of blues guitar like i think that's something that's really really neat about instrumental music is the way that we use like you said there are these kind of intonations that we just culturally and um you know to a certain degree like biologically understand as humans and people are able to trick your brain you know yeah i mean to be clear i agree with you i yeah would class again something with wordless vocals or even potentially something like you were saying your Fishman's experience as instrumental music. Yes. As an uh, instrumental musical experience, even though I wouldn't necessarily, at least with the Fishman's example, call that instrumental music itself. My point is that I think that in the context of instrumental music, the human voice is a really interest, uh, interesting instrument. Yes. That actually gets to, I was about to bring up the perfect example of that, the great gig in the sky. Yep. 
I was going to bring that up and then I could not remember the name. Yeah. <laughs> and so I figured you would eventually bring it up in anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that is the like one of the ultimate instrumental pieces that, yeah, there's there's no doubt about that in my mind. Claire Torrey's voice is being used as an instrument there. Um, yeah. uh, and, and again, that's another one of these ones where that is such a profound transcendental sort of song and i think it's one where you know i i've done i've literally done a video on it i've looked into the context i think it's an interesting one where you know it's neat to know the context behind it but knowing the context doesn't really change my experience of that song very much right like that song yeah. is such a raw human experience that i I, I don't know. I think it I, I don't want to say it taps at a universal experience because, you know, I think people can get different things out of that. But I think it's it is something that I don't know, it, it really it really tugs at the heartstrings in a very distinct sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. It has a that was sort of like I said, the song that I was thinking about when I was talking about how, you know, you can have vocals in what is effectively an instrumental piece of music. I just again forgot the name yeah but um but I, I had that like melody playing in my head and i was like i could just say you know the dark side of the moon one and no one would tell me but like you know uh but anyway uh i think one like you mentioned earlier uh that there are differences in how one would write if they were writing for a thing with lyrics and i think that that's a really interesting area here in the context of repetition mm. because i think that if you have a song that has lyrics, you can get all of the change you need by changing the lyrics in a lot of cases, or a lot of the change you need by changing the lyrics in a couple, in many cases. Like you can come back to the verse and still do roughly the same thing. And again, the, there are songs with like lyrics that are very repetitive. Something like, I'm thinking like, get up, get on up. Uh, yeah. Like, or whatever, like those sorts of songs. And similarly, you can have instrumental music that's very repetitive and still be good. Like a lot of Afrobeat stuff does that. Yeah. But I think there's also in instrumental music, in styles that aren't as invested in repetition as an aesthetic, there is this greater pressure to keep changing because you can't return to the same musical space but in a way that still feels different because the lyrics are different. You have to actually, like, actually feels judgmental, but you have to do something different yeah. in order for it to sound different in a way that you can sort of get away with not doing. And so again, you look at something like, you know, Mike Oldfield, and I think that it's, it's not that there's no repetition there, but it, it feels like it is trying to do more things in do more sort of at, at sort of the harmonic and melodic and structural levels because it can't rely on lyrics and vocals to do the changing for it. I, I think something that uh, a lot of, well, not a lot, but, but certain kind of like certain practices of instrumental pieces do in a very cool way that's sort of doing that is, uh, and this gets back to Holst. Holst does this a lot. Jupiter is my favorite example of this yeah. is, will take a melodic idea and, you know, kind of move that melodic idea through the orchestra, you know? And it's like, here's a little yeah. melodic idea. The string section's going to play it. You know, then we're going to go off to something else. And, oh, look, 
there's that melodic theme, but this time the French horns are playing it. And oh, here's the melodic theme, but this time, you know, the trumpets are playing it. And and that creates this kind yeah. of ebb and flow of these ideas being passed in back and forth. And often, you know, in songs that do this, you'll kind of have, you know, these different sections will also play it. it in addition to being a different timbre, they'll play it at sort of a different tempo or, you know, uh, a different... Yeah. Um, different volume, use different dynamics for it. Like they'll they'll do all these little, you know, sort of tweaks to this melody. Um, yeah. and as a result, you're you're kind of creating that sense of motion and growth and narrative, uh, in a really fun and rewarding way. Like I I really encourage people. I think I think if you want to hear this in action, like Holst's Jupiter is just a master class in this. It's just you know taking a couple really, really sticky melodic ideas and toying around with them with the, you know, massive tool that is an orchestra. Yeah, it's, I mean, what was I going to say? I, I was going to say something. Uh, but yeah, I think in a lot of, a lot of these cases going back, especially like, I want to be a little careful because going back to classical music is a really great example of what instrumental music what instrumental music can do in a lot of cases because that's yeah a lot of that tradition there were some vocal things but they were sort of not necessarily separated out into their own right? yeah separated out into their own things in a lot of cases you would have like choral music or opera music but you would also have just orchestral music this was yeah. a big part of the scene God, scene feels so weird. When <laughs> yeah, I'm talking. that is. It, 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 it was. Is, it was it a was scene. A hundred. It was a scene. Like, uh, but it's just. Yeah, I, I'm going to call it a scene just to do my part to dismantle the canon. But uh, it is a really great example of what you can do with instrumental music. But of course, it also has a lot of its own idiosyncrasies as a not not as a style because there's a lot of styles that fall under that umbrella. But like as a series of styles. Uh, Whereas you look at something like instrumental jazz and it's, I think, very different. Oh, yeah. I don't think many people would argue with me on that point. Uh, but like that's, but again, I think that a lot of that is in many ways tapping into some of those same ideas of creating an arc more yeah. than creating a story. I mean, I think that's something that, again, very different stylings, but Afrobeat does a ton of that same thing of yeah. kind of like taking a melodic idea and tossing it around the yeah. band and seeing what happens with it. And then, I mean, often what like yeah. what I love about um, Fela Kuti is, again, a lot of his stuff isn't actually instrumental, but a lot of his stuff, what he'll do is he'll have, you know, a five, six, ten minute instrumental opening kind of teasing out yeah. all of the sort of emotions that you're going to feel in this song and really priming you into this context and then he'll give you the lyrics right like he's he yeah. he's kind of like a lot of these songs almost tr treat lyrics not as the main focus but sort of as almost like a kind of you know like note on top of on top of everything yeah. like a footnote you know to this music where it's like you know you've heard You've heard all of this th this emotion and you've heard all these grooves. Now let me tell you what these grooves are about. You know, it, it seems like it's, yeah. it, it, which is a, it's such an interesting sort of approach where so often music with lyrics, you know, 
they, they often they'll have sort of instrumental breakdowns and solos and stuff like that. But so often it seems like the the lyrics are kind of what they want you to be paying attention to. Whereas in Afrobeat, a lot of the yeah. time it seems like the lyrics are icing on top of the cake. Yeah, it's sort of like now that you understand the story, here's what it was about. Yes, exactly. And so like, and I think one thing that like Afrobeat and a lot of the more, I'm going to use the word repetitive and I want to be really clear that I don't mean it as a judgment, but you know, styles that do have more repetition in their instrumental music. One of the things that I think they do, they really good examples of it do very well is playing around with layers. Yes. So you, you could have like a horn part that comes in for a bit and then it drops out. And maybe the, the bass groove keeps playing through and that you sort of bring these different layers in and out. And then eventually you bring them all in or you bring in different combinations of them. And so in theory, the structure is looping, but you keep experiencing different versions of it I'm with different parts coming together or coming apart or whatever and giving you sort of different spaces within the space. One of my favorite examples of that is Coltrane's My Favorite Things. Like that is a song yeah. that is so layered and that is a song that is incredibly repetitive by design, like to the point where, you know, it, it almost feels like Coltrane's trying to hypnotize you with all of the repetition. Um, it, it, it's a really, really incredible use of layering and, you know, uh, layering the sax and the piano and the drums and using using the, you know, everything that Coltrane has sort of at his disposal to um, to to pull you into this trance that it, it feels like the same thing over and over again, but it's slightly different and slightly novel each time. Um, and honestly, like it's, it's one of my favorite songs ever made. The, the sort of the, the impact that that has is, is really, really profound. Yeah. I mean, the example that I was thinking of, which is not to take, I, I completely agree with you on that example as well. Uh, but in a slightly different, but similar ish vein, uh, are you familiar with the band the Shaolin Afronauts? I am not, but I I want to be just by that uh, name. <laughs> yeah, so they uh, I would recommend the album Flight of the Ancient. I think it's Flight of the Ancients. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, it's I love that album. It's fully instrumental Afrobeat music. Um, but like the specifically, I was thinking of a track called Kilimanjaro that throughout the entire thing. I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly. It has been a little while since I've listened to the song, but I'm pretty sure this is right. Uh, it's the same bass part, just stays throughout. And yep. they bring in percussion parts and horn parts and guitars, and they bring them in. And then at the end, they sort of fade out all of these layers one at a time. That's really Until cool. you're left with, a, I believe it's just the bass at the end. God, I should really have listened to this song before I started using it as an example. Yeah, all of these parts, slowly you take one away after the other, and it just sort of like strips down to this one driving groove and you hear like it's just it's such a strong foundation and so much was happening on top of it and it's sort of at some level again felt repetitive but there was just so it was so rich and so lush and so interesting that like it was repetitive but it wasn't boring and again you have these parts coming in and out and then again all of these parts going out at the end so you really have to confront just how much 
like how much work this one part was doing to carry this entire song on its back and how good a groove it was. And I, I, yeah, really, really recommend that album. That's yeah, one of my favorite songs off it. That sounds, that that sounds to me like a lot, like, I mean, in a very, very different sort of way, but when you describe that, it reminds me of uh, Ravel's Bolero, right? Where Ravel's Bolero is, except rather than with Ravel's Bolero, it's a melody carrying it. It sounds like this song, it's the rhythm carrying it, right? Yeah. yeah. Or the groove, really. I mean, I think, I think, yeah. like, that kind of gets us into something that, like, we would be doing a disservice if we talked about instrumental music and didn't talk about dance music because so much instrumental and Afrobeat is a dance music. Um, you know, all, yeah. all, I should clarify, I just pulled up and listened to Kilimanjaro. It's a guitar part. I okay. was thinking of a different cool. song, but I, it, same, I, it, yeah. I was combining two songs. Kilimanjaro does that same thing, does that thing. And it is the example I was thinking of, but it is a guitar rhythm, guitar riff, not a bass part, just to clarify. So much instrumental music and even a lot of like jazz in its foundations is dance music and a lot of rhythmic based instrumental music, especially like, you know, I'm I'm not very qualified to talk about EDM. I don't really I don't really know or understand a lot about EDM. It's one of my big blind spots in music. But it it's one of the places where you know you one of the most sort of popular places for instrumental music right now because you know uh, there there's something about like music that is built to dance to that there's a very unique you know power to instrumental music in that sort of you know uh, and again a lot of a lot of EDM stuff a lot of a lot of like. Um, kind of the soul grooves and stuff too is about kind of getting you into this sort of trancey state that you can sort of dance to and really um, like almost experience like out of body experiences as you're kind of just submitting yourself to the groove and dancing. It's a, it's a really powerful aspect. And a lot of, a lot of folk musics are like this too. Um, You know, like a lot of like, uh, like North American indigenous drumming musics are really, really incredible um dance musics that are just like purely based off of rhythm um even even a lot of you know a lot of like celtic dance music is very is very much in the same way like a lot of the relationship between instrumental music and dance is is a really really rich one honestly someday we should have some a, a guest on who knows more about this stuff uh than me to talk about kind of dance and the relationship between dance and music. And my cousin got her master's in musicology studying uh, Irish folk music. So ooh, ooh. I might talk to her about yeah, that. Yeah, that would be really I mean, cool. on, on electronic music, one thing that, at least in the electronic music that I've listened to, one thing that I've always noticed is that like you have this structure, like this repeating structure, but there's just almost constant interruptions. Yeah. Like there's always these like little little things that pop in that you you may never hear again, but they're just like oh or whatever like this this noise that happens that sort of pulls you out of it that sort of but in a way that draws you back in makes it so that you you have this again repeating groove structure, but there's always there's always something that's throwing you off or something that's a little more like unusual or a little more interest interesting isn't the right word I'm. I'm trying Novel. to be very careful in my words this uh, episode. Novel, yeah. Just like, I don't want to, 
imply that like the base structure is bad or boring or whatever, but just having all of these additional layers on top of it that just again because because of how EDM is made, it's you know very much you you can put a thing in a DAW and just loop it, yeah, and you can loop it forever. And so it becomes very easy to go in and like find this particular point and be like, all right, on this bar and this thing, I'm just going to drop this extra effect and I will never use that again. It's just going to be there and that's going to be cool and it will sound good for this particular moment. And you, what is my point? I don't know that I have one, but that is a thing that I've noticed about EDM I mean, or at least the the EDM that I have listened to, which again, like Noah, not my main genre but something I do, I have heard and listened to some and enjoy when I do, but I don't want to present myself as an expert. I think that that sort of like that approach of kind of like throwing interesting stuff in is also something that happens in another sort of like, again, pseudo instrumental music that, again, this could probably be a whole topic on its own, but is sort of like, I don't know a better word for it than beats, you know, like kind of like Jay Dilla yeah. or stuff like that, right? It's yeah. it's th that's that whole world. I just uh, uh shout out to my Polyphonic magazine actually. The the issue that is dropping probably dropped while we're recording this actually is uh talking to somebody who makes beats and it's like beats are a really interesting place for this because they are these little instrumental worlds, but often yeah. they're made with the assumption that somebody is probably going to be rapping over this, right? So they they yeah. occupy, but then sometimes, you know, like Donuts, one of the greatest albums ever by Dilla is, you know, there, there are vocal samples and stuff, but a lot of it is just instrumental beat music, right? So it's, it's this, yeah. it's this weird sort of, you know, space between worlds where it is, it is music that is being created as instrumentals, and, you know, often it is like a single beat maker, you know, making all of these instrumentals kind of on their own with their own sort of vision and soundscape. And then later it's picked up by, you know, a rapper who's who just thinks the beat is cool or, you know, has an idea for how they could put a verse on it. So it's it's this weird world that is sort of a bridge between instrumental music and vocal music. Yeah. Yeah. It's in that space where we were, we were talking earlier about how, you know, you write differently if you're writing yes. for lyrics. And it's one of those things where like a beat is written for lyrics, but you don't know what they are yet. Yes, exactly. And you're, you're making the music first on the assumption that a story will, or not even necessarily a story, but that, that words will be put on top of it. And this is like, this is a thing that also happens in, like musical theater. I know that yes. uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, for instance, when I've, cause I've read a fair amount of like his writing on his process when I was working on a video about cats and he very much, especially early in, early in his career would write the music first and then hand it off to Tim Rice and be like, here, put words to this, figure out what words tell this story the way that you want. And it's sort of, not quite the same thing that that is more still being done often within a story. There's yeah. a, a particular set of events he wants to portray musically, but it's written without knowing what those words will be. 
you know, sort of the opposite of like the Elton John, Bernie Toppin thing. Even a lot of uh, even the Beatles wrote like that a lot. Like often the Beatles wrote yeah. with kind of melodies first famously yesterday, which, you know, yesterday is one of yes. it, it is a perfect combination of lyrics and music in this really kind of like gut wrenching song. Uh, famously, Paul McCartney, like originally wrote the song with the lyrics scrambled eggs oh pretty darling how i love your legs because the melody came to him first and he just kind of like yeah. ha would just sing stuff over this melody and then kind of you know after having this melody would figure out and work work out kind of okay you know what's a song that i can tell that kind of fits to this sound and tells the same emotional story. So yeah, often the relationship between kind of yeah. instrumental and uh, instrumental and lyrical music is a very complex one and one that's not super yeah. easy to, uh, you know, pin down as being exclusively one way or another. Yeah. I mean, that sort of thing happens all the time in like rock and pop circles where it's just, you know, the melody comes to you and like that, this is somewhat of a tangent. This isn't directly related to instrumental music, but it sort of presents an interesting challenge as an analyst and as a theorist, just because like, I want to talk about how these decisions affect the story, but often the decisions were made before yes. the story was written. Yeah, And so it becomes, and, and again, my, my, my general solution to that is that my, I'm analyzing experience. I'm not analyzing intent. Yeah. So the fact that they chose to leave that thing in after they had made the story, it's still close enough for yep. my purposes. But it, it is one of those things that goes back to, again, what makes instrumental music so effective is that these musical ideas within a cultural context can convey really deep and powerful emotions without words. Yeah, And so then... If you start from that, if you start from that feeling, that will, if you want to put lyrics over it, that can sort of guide you to what those lyrics are. Because, you know, if you were to do, um, take the, the, if they had had the, like, the melody and the chord progression and the arrangement for yesterday, and they had done the lyrics of killing in the name. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that the choices they had made prior to adding the lyrics would, would yeah. support those lyrics. Yeah, you don't think very it would effectively. work? <laughs> I mean, again, anyone listening who wants to prove me wrong, please, please try. Please do that. Please, I am begging you this time, try that. But instinctively, I don't think it would. I very desperately want that to exist. Something something that, I mean, we're, we're starting to run a little long here, but something that I really wanted to uh, kind of talk about is instrumental music has a really unique way of being very funny. Like there's a lot of really funny instrumental yeah. music where the humor is just done with the arrangement. The other day I was listening to Benny Goodman's Sing, 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 which is a masterclass. And, you know, it's got like Groupon drums and the arrangement is magnificent. There's also just these like really, really goofy uh, sort of sounds like Benny Goodman is the king of swing and swing is swing is fun funny music and a lot of a lot of early jazz actually was like there's all these really kind of funny sounds and you'll you know like trombone slides and like trumpet wails yeah. and stuff like that just anything a trombone yes does. exactly 
But there's a lot of really interesting kind of funny stuff you can do with instrumental music in a way that, and we've talked about this in our comedy music episode, it's very different when you're, you know, saying something, you know, funny lyrics are kind of telling jokes, whereas funny music is, it's, it's kind of just making sounds funny, you know, like it's a different sort of, yeah. Different sort of humor, and I think it's yeah. a underappreciated aspect. Yeah, it taps into again, and I know I keep bringing this up, but like, you know, if if you have like a funny lyric, then the first time I hear it, it'll be like, oh, that's funny, and then the second time, you know, it'll be like, oh, that's clever, maybe. But like, as it goes, it becomes less and less funny because the specific joke isn't landing. Yeah. Like, or that I'm, I'm familiar with it. I know it's coming and I don't get that surprise. But like a funny instrumental sound is sort of, is so much more vague. It's so much more open to interpretation. And so it, instead of creating, instead of telling a joke, it's creating the impact of a joke landing. Yes. And that's a great way of putting like, it. Hearing a funny joke will always be funny to me. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, eventually a joke stops being funny, but the concept of jokes, that doesn't stop being funny to me. And so this thing that reminds me of a joke without being a specific one leaves much more room to continue being fun and funny and entertaining and making me smile forever. Yeah. Again, like I think that that kind of speaks to a lot of what we've been saying about instrumental music is just it's sort of its ability to, you know, abstract emotion a little bit um, creates a a more universal appeal to it sometimes if it's done well. Yeah. Yeah. Like by focusing less on being specific it allows it to be more true yes i think is yeah. how i would yeah i like true as a way to say describe it. it yeah 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 did you have any more thoughts or should we call it there i mean i think the only other thing is like earlier on we were sort of talking about like semi-instrumental songs yeah. or songs that had vocals but also had parts that you could look at as instrumental and I specifically wanted to bring up Jethro Tull in that conversation because not in every song, but especially like in, in a lot of their classic albums have at least one song that just like has a multi-minute instrumental digression. So much progress. My God is probably that. Yeah. But like specifically like my God has this whole like flute breakdown in the middle. Uh, And there, there are, there are voices in there that sort of, um, wordless choral stuff that happens in that part, but it just it tells such a complete story, especially in the context of what's of the lyrics on either side. But even within itself, it is its own isolated. You could cut that, take it out, make it its own thing. Not quite because it really does build back up into the actual song. Actual song is a weird way to put that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but another example is Pibrock, which uh, is on Songs from the Wood, which just breaks down into this basically a jig for part of the middle. There's there's this, this like folk dance breakdown in the middle of this like epic prog rock song, and it really kind of stands on its own. But it also, within the context of the song, has 
deeper meanings. I think that's something that Prague, like, like so much Prague, like I'm thinking like 21st yeah. century schizoid man has breakdowns like that. Shine on you crazy diamond yeah. has things like that. Like Prague rock is. Yeah. Shine on's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, Shine On almost feels like what you were saying with Afrobeat, where, like, you know, they have this whole, like, building thing, and then eventually over top of it, they're like, I guess here's some lyrics. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. Like, you, you people want lyrics, right? Here's some lyrics. But it, Shine On, I feel like you get everything that Shine On is doing before they start singing. And then the singing is just, and it, it's good. It's like, it, I'm not saying yeah. it's pointless. It's an important part of what they're doing. But it's sort of, you get everything that the song is saying, and then they come in yeah. and give you some words to latch on to. I mean, I think a lot of this is also like kind of speaks to the arbitrary boundaries of what is a song because Shine On could also be, I mean, it's literally like Shine On parts one to five and six to nine or whatever. Like you could very yeah. comfortably break those up into five songs and say it's four instrumental pieces and one lyrical piece, right? And and same with a lot yeah. of the Tull stuff, yeah. right? Like a lot of Jethro Tull stuff, yeah. you could easily look at these breakdowns as their own self-contained songs that are part of a suite. So I think it, I think especially with, especially yeah. with prog rock, like I think it really makes sense to, to describe a lot of this stuff as instrumental because I think these movements, you know, they're, they're, they're imagined as instrumental movements that are kind of their own standalone yeah. piece that's part of a bigger suite. Yeah. And that's, in my mind, that's very different. Yeah, they have the vocabulary yeah. of instrumental. And that's very yeah. different than just like, you know, like a solo. You know, it, 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 we, yeah. we talked about solos before and there is, you know, that is sort of its own instrumental thing. But these are these are sort of songs within songs, instrumental songs within songs. Yeah. Yeah, I like sort of the the movement analogy because you know again these like my god is eight minutes pbrock is seven like they're they're not yeah short pieces of music they have sections and that this one of these sections is written with again you were saying earlier like there's there's a difference between writing for lyrics and writing for just instrumental and these sections feel like they are written for just instrumental as opposed to being sort of an introduction or a transition or whatever that is supposed to move you between lyrical sections, like you know a guitar solo does. In in many cases, not not every guitar solo, but yeah, like if you just have like an eight bar solo over the verse, that that's not really being in, that's not really instrumental music. That is an instrumental break in a lyrical yes. piece, which is it is not a judgment, but it is not instrumental music. It is just momentarily instrumental. Whereas again, something like the flute breakdown in My God. Which a incredible, yeah, truly phenomenal piece of music that breakdown in specific and the song as a whole. But on top of that, like it is very much playing in the ballpark of instrumental music, even if it brought its friend lyrics along with it. I, I think that's uh, I think that's a great place um, to leave it. But I I do need to say yeah. I do need to shout out just because I didn't get a chance to talk about them, but some of my favorite instrumental or mostly instrumental music musicians working right now are The Comet Is Coming, um, uh, and really any of uh, Shabaka Hutchings' projects are amazing, but The Comet Is Coming, just like what they're able to do with instrumental music is really, really fantastic. And they're honestly like what they are is 
in a lot of ways, kind of a combination of all of these different things we've been talking about because they've got Afrobeat influences, they've got jazz influences, they've got EDM influences, they've got rock influences, um, and all of it just melds together in this beautiful instrumental stew. I don't really have any analysis, but that's just listen yeah. to the comet is coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Trust in that the life force like of the deep extremely mystery. Extremely my jam. Yeah, trust in the life force of the deep mystery is is the album you should listen to to start, and it is okay. it's incredible. It's so much fun. Got it. I will absolutely check that out. Uh, I would also say uh, just to tie in with our last conversation uh, that you should listen to it on iPhone speakers. Oh yeah, I I haven't heard. <laughs> I haven't heard it, but yeah, I, I assume that's what yes, it was mixed exactly. for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I think I think that's roughly everything that I had to say. So if that's everything you had to say, then we can start winding our way towards an ending. Amazing. I think we're at the ending. I think there's no starting. Thank you all so much for listening. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>